So we're in the book of Revelation. We're going to um, get a little further into chapter 1. We'll finish chapter 1 next week, but we're kind of in the, the heart of chapter 1 here. I want to remind you what we started this sermon series off, because we need to keep this in front of us throughout the entire study. But Revelation chapter 1 opens up with, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This is a book of blessing. We need to remember that. There's going to be some hard stuff said in this book in a short amount of time, and we need to remember, he's saying it to bless us. Now, why does Revelation open with this promise of blessing? Because the end is near, like the time is short, it says. I mean, those were Jesus's first words when he came out of the wilderness after being tempted for 40 days, repent, which means change the way that you think about who God is and who he created you to be. Repent. Why? Because the time is near. Because I'm coming back for the second time. And then it's done. It's over. It's like we're finished. Um, But remember that that's for our good too. Jesus is coming back that second time to put an end to all things and to start everything over again for our good. Um, there's a guy that I love reading. He's a, I think he's an 18th century theologian, and I'll be quoting him a lot in this sermon series, even a couple times today, but his name's Matthew Henry, and he says this, the events in Revelation are foretold more darkly than other biblical books to create in us a respect for the Scripture and to engage our attention, and to excite our inquiry. Revelation is written in a way to make people think. Now, week one of our study, we asked God to change our hearts, to prepare our hearts. Week two was preparing our minds, and now we're ready. We're going to get into it today. So, with that in mind, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. This letter is from the Apostle John, the Apostle that Jesus loved. They had a very close relationship, and it's written to the seven churches, which are located in modern-day Turkey. And those churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatra, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They're churches named after cities. They're churches that were in those cities. But not only is this letter written to those seven churches way back when, It's written to every church that came out of those churches. So this church starts and it multiplies and they plant a church over here and then they plant a church over here and it just goes. And we, Woods Edge, are a product of these churches. We came out of, these are the first churches. So they're our ancestor church. So when this says this letter is written to those seven churches, if we're the great, 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 whatever grandbaby of one of those churches, then this letter is written to us now today. So my desire for you, he says, is what? It's grace and peace. My desire, what I want you to take from this book, Revelation, is grace 
and peace. It's a scary book. This is a prophetical book. This is a mysterious book. But I wrote it for two reasons, to give you grace and peace. That's what I want you to take away from this because I've got some tough stuff to say in this book, but my goal is for your grace and peace, for your holiness and your comfort. My goal is to bless you, which really reminds me of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, and they are plans for good, not for disaster. They are plans to give you a future and a hope. God's plans for us all day, every day, is to bless us, is for our good. We need to understand that. And if you don't, you need to change the way that you think. God's desire for you all day, every day, is not discouragement, disappointment. I, I wish I'd never made you. It's for our good. It's to bless us and encourage us. Um, it makes me think of when I have to discipline my kids. Sometimes I have to say, similar to here, God has to say some tough stuff to his kids. Sometimes I have to say tough stuff to my kids. And specifically, it makes me think of when I have to discipline Wyatt. Wyatt is an emotional little man. He's got a lot of spunk and a lot of energy. And sometimes his emotions, like the rest of us, take over. And he looks a little bit like this. This is Wyatt when his emotions, and there's Charlotte at the back too, like just his emotions get, just kind of grab hold of him. You ever have your emotions kind of dictate what you do? They kind of get you and just carry you off? Yeah, you do. We all do. And then when that happens, I have to correct him. He's disobedient, and I have to correct him, and his face then looks a little bit like this, right? His mood changes because now he sees something is about to happen. But ultimately, I correct his emotional response, his bad behavior, because I love him and for his good, for his comfort. And so after discipline, he looks a little bit like this. Look at those eyeballs. He's so cute. Um, the only reason that my discipline works with my son is that because he and Charlotte understand that my discipline is for their good, because my, my kids understand that I am for them. I am seeking they're good. And so as I was writing this down, I'm like, I don't know if the students will believe that. So I interviewed Wyatt on the spot this weekend. Check this out. Wyatt James. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Hey. Say hey, students. Hey, students. Hey. Hey. Do you get spankings sometimes from daddy? Yeah. How do you feel about spankings? Sad. Why? Because hard. Because they're hard? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Why does daddy spank you? Because we're disobedient. You get spankings when you're disobedient? Yeah. Yeah. When you do something you're not supposed to do? Yeah. Are spankings good for you or bad for you? Good for you. How come? Because it makes you remember what you did bad. That's right. And then what do we always do after the spanking? We hug and... Um, we talk about it. That's right. Do you know Daddy loves you? Yeah. Even when he spanks you? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that Sissy is a sneaky sneaker? Yeah. Go find her. Go get her. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Discipline works in our house. Wyatt respects when I discipline him because he knows that I'm for him. 
because it's for his good. Wyatt understands not just my motives, but me. He understands that daddy loves him. And so when I have tough stuff to say, when timeouts or removing a privilege or even a physical discipline, a spanking happened, it's for his good. Doesn't mean he likes it, but he understands that. And we need to know, we need to understand, and if you don't, just ask God. Change the way that I think right now in this service, God, that God's desire for us has always been good because it's coming from the one, as the letter opens, who is, it's coming from the one who is, it's coming from the one who always was, and it's coming from the one who's still to come. God's desires for you and I have been good. They're good today. They were good yesterday, and his desires for you are going to be good tomorrow, who was and is and is to come. We know God's desires for us also. They always result in good. This introduction of Jesus and giving him all these names at the beginning of Revelation, there's something behind each of those names. It's coming from the sevenfold spirit, it says. It's coming from Jesus Christ. It's coming from the faithful witness. It's coming from the first to rise up from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. God is telling us that my desires for your grace and peace, for your good, it's going to bless your spirit. Sevenfold spirit, it's going to bless you spiritually. It's going to bless your salvation. It's going to bless your faith. It's going to bless you eternally, not just today, but forever. And it's going to bless you because I'm Jesus and you can count on me. I'm the ruler. I'm the Lord of all the kings and all the lords. What God's about to say to us in Revelation as we unpack this over the next weeks and months will be difficult. It will stretch us. It will challenge us, and we need to remember right now, today, just write it on your heart. Just ask God to change your mind. God, you made me. You love me. You saved me. You're for me, and not just today, but yesterday and every day to come. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, my child. That's how God sees us, as his kids. My child, do not ignore the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those that he loves, and he corrects each one that he accepts as his child. Have you ever felt corrected by God? Have you ever been reading the Word and just felt convicted, man, I need to, I need to really work on this? Have you ever had a pastor or a small group leader or a parent in love challenge you and correct you and call you up to something and you felt in your heart, I do need to do this. Do you know why you felt that? Do you know why God corrects? Because he loves you. He wouldn't bother with you if he didn't care about you. God corrects those he loves. So when you feel corrected, when you feel uncomfortable, when you come up against a hard passage, it's because God loves you and he's stirring in you and he's calling you to something better. Revelation goes on, five and six, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God has made it clear that he corrects and encourages us because we're his kids. We're his sons and daughters, 
and because He loves us and He desires good for us. And you guys, you know as well as I do that we settle for less than God's best every day, all the time, but God desires better for us. So He continues to encourage and correct us, even when we're doing kind of okay. We also need to remember that our confusion sometimes in reading the Word or receiving discipline, our confusion or discomfort, our, our suffering, it's really, it's secondary. It's not the main thing. The main thing is God, God's glory, God's good, God's reputation. We're His kids. When my kids and I go out to Walmart and they start running around like hooligans and freaks and they're pulling stuff off the shelves and they're just acting like fools, they sometimes forget you are representing me right now. You are making me look bad. Sometimes when we call ourselves Christians and we go around and we continue to gossip and we continue to just behave poorly, we continue to live in a way that is so countercultural to this book, we have to remember, I'm actually, I'm representing God in the way that I'm acting right now. And I, I wonder how he feels about it. He's still my dad. He still loves me. But am I, am I making my dad look good right now or not? We need to remember the simple phrase that I love, God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I am not. How does God use his glory, right? It's for his glory. So does he use it to pick himself up? Does he use it for his own um, specialness and privilege? No, it says he uses his glory to bless us. He uses his glory to bless us. Um, We sinned, right? We stepped away from God in the Garden of Eden. We deliberately, knowingly disobeyed what God said in his word. And you and I do that all the time. And then we blamed God for it. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they did exactly what God told them not to, did they say, hey, we messed up, we made a mistake? No, they were like, it's her fault, it's his fault, it's, it's your fault, God. We knowingly disobeyed the Lord and then we blamed him for it. But instead of abandoning us, in that moment, instead of saying, you know what, I am done with you. And how many of us have said that to a friend when they've done something deliberately to hurt us? It's too many times. But when we did that to God, did he abandon us in our sin? Did he leave us to rot right there and say, you know what, You're, I, I can't work with this? No. He sacrificed his only son in order to free us from sin. And then he continues to encourage us and correct us on and on and on, all the days of our life. It'd be like if Kalen did something that deserved death every day. Yeah, watching you, fella. If Kalen did something horrible that was going to mean he was going to be executed, and I said, you know what, I'm going to just, I'll give Wyatt to be executed in Kalen's place so that he can live, so he can have another chance, because I know Wyatt and I, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll handle it. I love Kalen too much to let him just be damned for eternity. Like, that's God's love. I can't imagine giving Wyatt for Kalen. I mean, especially Kalen. <laughs> but God did it. God gave his only son for every single one of us. He saw, you are not going to make it. You are lost in your sin. You are lost in just doing things your own way and being selfish. But I love you too much to watch you go down. I'm going to give my only son so that you can live. That's how much he loves us. He didn't give up on us. He like doubled down for us. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. Because he's transforming us, as the passage says, into a kingdom of priests and priestesses. That's incredible. That's amazing. 
There's so much more to God than we give him credit for. There's so much more to you than you see in your... God sees it. That's why he's working on us. That's why he's loving you and calling you up to more. He sees there's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than you see looking back in the mirror. Um, you know, Wyatt, dude, God did not create you to play Mario Kart 8 all day long. God did not create you to be jealous of your sister anytime she gets something you don't. He created you to be a royal priest. That's how you should see yourself. Students, God did not create you to go around gossiping about your friends. He didn't create you so at the end of the day you could sneak into the woods and make out with your girlfriend on Wednesday night. I know who you are. He didn't create you to rebel against your parents. He didn't create you to be afraid of bullies. He created every single one of you in this room to be a priest and a priestess in the kingdom of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-11 through 11 says, You are a chosen people... You are royal priests, a holy nation. You are God's very own special possession. Who says stuff like that about you? God does. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once, maybe before, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy... Now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners in this land to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. God knows there's danger out there and he's warning us, but he's also reminding us, dude, you are like this in my eyes and you're settling for this. We are not of this world, you guys. We're here like that. Then it's on to eternity in heaven. What does it mean to be a priest? Here's a couple things for you just to remember. Like, this is who you are, and if you're not using pen and paper to take notes, now would be a good time to do it. But to be a priest in the kingdom of God means you are no longer common, but unique. You are no longer regular, but special. You're different. You ever felt like, man, I'm so different from... Yeah, of course you are. That's the way God made you. To be a priest in the kingdom of God means that you live according to truth and not just lies and foolishness. To be a kingdom priest or priestess means that you have been set apart by God for holy service to God. Like you have a special purpose in this life, not just to make money and buy a nice house. You have an eternal purpose in this life. And those purposes line up with things like God created you to comfort other people. He created you to encourage others. He created you to be an example to others. He created you to lead other people into the presence of God via prayer or inviting them to church or setting just a good example of, I'm going to live according to this book and not the silliness I see on TV. He created you, every one of you, to be a servant leader to lead by example. Now, why should we try to live like that? Well, the answer is right there in Revelation. 7 through 8, look, says John, exclamation point. Not like, hey, look. He's like, look. That was too loud. Scared myself. Jesus comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. All the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha 
and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. I am the almighty one. Why do we need to change the way that we think about who God is and who he made us to be? Because it's not just about God's love for us, which we've clearly established, and I hope you're receiving, but it's also about God's grandeur. Who else you know that's coming on the clouds? Who else you know that's got the power to just say, all right, earth, we're done? What will it look like when Jesus comes on the clouds? I don't really know. I don't know. But there's a video I want to share with you. It's actually two different videos captured from two different people on the same day. This video was captured on October 10th, 2016, so a year ago, basically, this weekend, and it was captured at the day before Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and it was captured, and it sounds like there's like trumpets going on in the background, and what's interesting about Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, is that it's supposed to be heralded with trumpet blasts, so priests blow trumpets to signal the Jewish New Year begins right now. And that's just a symbolic thing of what's going to happen in heaven one day when the trumpets are blown by the angels in heaven heralding the new year of God. And so here's this video, two of them that were captured a year ago this weekend. And I can't explain them, but just check this out and just let it fill you with some awe and wonder. Watch. Guys, oh, is that not eerie? Is that not like just fantastic? Is that not just amazing? I don't know if that's real. I don't know if that's photoshopped. I don't know if that's faked or not, but it was out there. Millions of people saw it. it all kinds of people started talking. Is it the end of the world, etc.? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's legit, but I don't show it to you to say, hey, guys, there's some scary stuff going on over Israel. We need to get right with God. I show it to you to inspire just an understanding that God is coming back. He is coming back one day. It will be in the sky. Everyone will see. Not everybody saw that, so I, you know, whatever that was, I don't know. Some weird stuff going on meteorologically. I don't know. Maybe something else. But Jesus is coming back. And here's what we do know. He's coming back, and when he does, it will be sudden. Um, it will be grand. It'll be beyond anyone's understanding. And we will either be ready for it, or we won't. Another commentary statement from Matthew Henry about the end says, we should make every effort to meditate frequently, meditate frequently 
about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We should keep that reality in the forefront of our minds and our faith and our expectation. The Apostle John speaks in Revelation as if he saw the day. Behold, he says, he comes as surely as if you beheld him with your own eyes. He comes with clouds, which are his chariot and his pavilion. He will come publicly. Every eye will see him. The eye of his people, the eye of his enemies, every eye, yours and mine. And he will come to the joy of those who have received their new identity in Jesus, who have listened, repented, and obeyed, who have lived for Jesus and not for the world. And he will come to the terror of those who have pierced him, who have not repented, who have wounded and crucified Jesus afresh by their refusal to be corrected. God is speaking to us all day, every day in this book, which the Hebrew word for Bible is mikra, which means crying out. This book is called crying out. God is crying out to us every day. He's speaking to us. He's encouraging us. He's correcting us because he loves us. And every one of us in this room needs a savior. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't live right by my own power. I don't have it in me. I've tried, I've failed, I've tried again and I failed, but thank you God for grace and mercy that he walks me through it. And yet if we refuse to listen, if we continually reject God, which I have done so many times, countless times, and I wonder how many of you have heard a convicting word and realized I need to change and just said, no thanks. Well, Revelation is there at the end of the Bible to say, I'm warning you. I love you. I'm warning you like warning a kid who's about to run into traffic. Things are about to go really poorly for you. He wouldn't warn us if he didn't love us. He's not trying to scare us. He's not trying to say, yeah, go ahead and go into traffic. He's saying, please, for the love of God, don't do that. And it's okay if Revelation today even makes you a little uncomfortable because God loves you enough to make you and I a little uncomfortable if it means it might save our soul. It makes me remember a story from my friend Sydney Pryor, who many of you guys may remember. She just graduated. She's off to college, but she was here this past week. After a sermon in July, Sydney comes up to me and says, you know, when you were talking about those people in Nehemiah, we were studying Nehemiah, Old Testament, when you were talking about those people in Nehemiah who ignored God and and hurt themselves by settling for the world's best instead of God's best, it made me feel so guilty. And it made me feel so sad because she was settling for the world's best and she was ignoring God that particular day. And I just said to her, Sydney, hon, that's not God's heart for you. That's not why he wrote Nehemiah or Genesis or Deuteronomy or First and Second Samuel. That's not why he wrote Revelation to make you feel guilty and super sad. He wrote it not to condemn you, but to comfort you and encourage you. He's calling you up. He's telling you these things not to say, you're done, but he's saying, you can have a second chance right now if you want it. You can ask for salvation right now if you want it. 
He's yelling to us from the sidelines like a super enthusiastic parent, and he's hollering at every single one of us all day long, whether we're doing poorly or great. You can do it. I'm for you. Don't give up. I'll never give up on you. That's the father heart of God for every one of you. You can do it. I'm for you. I will never give up on you. Dwight, you guys can take the stage. Um, I just have to trust that God has used what we've discussed here today, that he's used worship at the start to speak to your hearts, to convict you of some area of your life that maybe you need to surrender to him or that you need to change the way that you think about God. Maybe he's convicting you for the simple fact that, like, I don't even have a relationship with him. If you want one, it's super simple. It's Romans 10 all day. It's just pray in your heart before you leave this room. Pray in your heart as I'm talking to you. Jesus, um, I need you. I want you. I know I can't do it on my own. I know I failed every day trying to do it on my own. So will you help me? Will you save me? Will you rescue me? And then just tell somebody that you asked him that. Tell somebody that you believe in your heart that there's a God who sent his son to die on a cross to rescue you from sin and death. Tell somebody. Believe and proclaim, and you're saved. And the Bible says that's like being reborn. It's like being born again. It's like something that can never be taken back. If you pray that, if you proclaim that, you're saved for good forever. And then you get to continue to develop a relationship with Jesus every day. So will you allow this message? Will you allow this sermon series to create in you a respect for the scriptures? It's not just a book. There's more here. Will you allow it to engage your attention this semester? Will you allow it to excite your inquiry? I pray to God that some of you leave here today and just go, you can't wait to just read Revelation cover to cover. We're going to respond to our sermon. And we have tithes and offerings. If you have an allowance, if you've got a job, you should bring the tithe. Support not just the work of God, but declare to him by giving, you mean more to me than this paper in my pocket. I need you more than money. We have communion, the juice and the wafer representing the blood and the body of Jesus, broken, spilled for us so that we can be saved, so we can take communion as a way to celebrate, thank you, God, for saving me. You have your pens and cards. You can write them a letter. We have worship we can sing with all our heart. But I want to just give one final passage to really prime the pump for you this morning, to really challenge you through God's word to make some sort of decision for Jesus today. Would you bow your heads as I read this? Would you hear this, not just with your heads and your ears, but your hearts? Would you recognize God's tender, passionate love for you as he says, my children, today I am giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster. I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live, you will multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you.
But if your hearts turn away, if you refuse to listen to me, if you're drawn away to serve others, to serve and worship your own selfish desires, I'm warning you, you will certainly be destroyed. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses, and now I call on heaven and on earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying the Lord your God and committing yourself firmly to him. This choice is the key to your life. Jesus, thank you that you are a God that lets us choose. We don't have to choose you. We get to. May all of us just declare afresh today, I choose you. I choose your word. I choose grace and mercy and blessing instead of selfishness. And the devil and the world convict us, speak to us, encourage and comfort us. What does that decision look like for me today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led.